I'm Catherine Zox, your so- your social worker with a microphone, and you're listening to The Catherine Zox Show. Joining me today is author and chief medical officer at Texas Health Resources, Robert Schwab, MD, and his new book is Eddie's Boy. Robert Schwab, chief medical officer at a hospital in the Dallas-Fort Worth Metroplex, announces the release of his third book, which tells the story of a physician who faces life after an accident that leaves him with debilitating injuries. In an instant, the doctor becomes the patient, and while the journey throughout Eddie's Boy reflects on illness and suffering, the healing and love that transpires is a lesson for us all. Dr. Schwab explores the things we take for granted and the things we never knew we had. In addition to writing and speaking on these topics, he teaches an undergraduate seminar at the University of Texas at Dallas and has published poems, stories, and essays about health care. Welcome to the show, Dr. Schwab. Nice to have you here. Thank you very much. I really appreciate having the opportunity to speak with you. It's a, it's a great honor for me. Well, thank you. And I think one of the things, having gone to your website briefly, uh, you talk about, and I think this is such important topic, and it's obviously part of your book, Eddie's Boy, you talk about humanism in medicine. Uh, So I guess my first question, how does Eddie's Boy reflect that theme? Because that theme seems to be pervasive in terms of everything that you do. Yes, it is. Uh, You know, the, 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 you're right. Everything I write is in one way or another, it seems, about that issue. And I, I, I've always felt that, um, you know, medicine, it attract, I was attracted to, to medicine primarily by the art or the humanism and not as much by the science, although both are important. And I think as I've gotten older and I've studied this and I've taught it and spoken about it, I, I, it illness is a very profound story in all of our lives. And story has such an important impact on our lives every single day. I really believe that we, we, we are more or less the stories that we've internalized as well as those we've, we've rejected. And so illness is a big one. And, and if anyone doubts that, just think back to the telephone call we've all received at one point in our life that says something like, uh, your grandmother's in the hospital. I mean, that's a big deal. Even for those of us who work in the hospital, it's a big deal. So, so I think the, the human side of medicine and illness is, is a very uh, profound story that needs to be told. And it seems to me, unfortunately, I don't know if this is true or not. I, I, I guess I'll ask you the question. Do you think that medicine has become more dehumanized, you know, as we get, and I always think of, uh, this is many, many years ago when my father had heart a heart disease and eventually died of it. But uh, all the young interns and the residents were coming in and checking everything and checking the monitors. And I don't think they ever looked at him. But one of the old doctors said, you know, why don't you just look at him and talk to him and talk to the patient rather than yeah. being so tied up with all the, you know, mechanisms. I don't know if that's still true. To some extent it is, but, um, you know. No, I think it is. I think it's a, it's it's something we need to be aware of and we need to manage because as we get more scientifically and technologically adept at fighting disease, which is a wonderful thing. Uh, We focus more on science and data and things like that, and less on the fact that, yes, there's disease, but equally importantly, there's a human being who's suffering from that disease, which is really 
the definition of illness. And I think we, we spend less time on the illness, which is the experience of the disease, and, and more time on the disease and fighting it. Both are important, but one without the other is, in my mind, inadequate health care. Well, and when in your book, you're talking about the doctor who becomes the patient, and you sort of have, so that changes everything for him. I think that does, I would assume that that would, when you are the doctor and you do become a patient, everything does change in ter- your outlook in terms of how you practice your, your you practice medicine. Um, how, yeah. I think so. I think, you know, what you're hinting at, I think, is experiential empathy. So so we gain empathy by experiencing what other people experience. And so if you get sick as a doctor, you will know what it's like to be in a flimsy gown that leaves you cold in the room. And you'll know what it's like to be, you know, pushed through the halls with you know, parts of your body sticking out that maybe you don't want to expose and you'll, it'll suddenly become real to you. So I think that's, that's very important. And one of the themes I, I explore in depth in, in my novel is what happens when a physician identifies himself almost entirely by his profession and then suddenly he can't practice that profession. What happens? And I think that that's a, an important theme. I see that in a lot of my physician colleagues, and I think it it's dangerous to uh, to. And whether you're a doctor or a nurse or a healthcare provider or any any job, I think there is some risk in identifying yourself entirely by what you do for a living, because you, there may come a time when you can't do that. So how so, do you prevent that? That's a difficult thing, especially let's say a physician, highly regarded. It's you know it's you know physicians are somewhat, maybe not as much, but up on a pedestal, and all of those things that make you feel like, wow, this is this is who I am. Um, how would you kind of maybe mitigate some of those feelings so that that wouldn't happen to you? I think there's various ways. I think you have, uh, you know, the, the people who do it the best, and I don't claim to be one of those. I'm still on my journey. But the people who do it the best are people who are grounded in other things, whether it's spirituality, whether it's family and friends, whether it's hobbies, whether it's something else. I think you have to have other things. And for me personally, my, you know, I have a good family who's very supportive. I have children. I think when you have children, it it reminds you what really matters in the world. Um, and I'm blessed or cursed, depending on who you ask, with having a number of hobbies that really, you know, feed my soul, including and especially writing. Uh, that's really a great joy for me. But I also play music, and I, I enjoy playing golf, and I do all sorts of things that really kind of recharge my battery and feed my soul and remind me that, you know, the world is more than medicine. So, I, so I've how do you do great... that now in the age and in, in this pandemic when you. Yeah, it's challenging. Yeah. It, it really is. Yeah. Uh, you know, I'm, I'm lucky that my hobbies have lent, lent themselves well to a pandemic. And by that, I mean, I can still sit in my, sit at my computer and write. I can sit, I have a room at home that's devoted to my music and I can sit in there and play my guitar. Um, I can play golf. Golf is one of those things that uh, has been felt to be 
reasonably safe. It's outdoors and you can stay distanced and you can get some exercise. And so I've been lucky. My hobbies have lent themselves to being adaptable to a pandemic. Um, but for people who haven't, I think it's devastating. I think you have to, you know, look for other things that you can do. I think people are reading more, which is a good thing. I hope they pick up my book and read it. Um, but I, you know, Eddie's I, I boy. think it's very I'll challenging. I'll mention it again, yeah. Yes, please. <laughs> That's yeah. the title so of the I, book, yeah. I think it's very challenging. It's a very challenging time. It's the most challenging time of my life, and I'm 63 years old. So I, I, I certainly hope my children never go through anything like this again, but I fear that it's likely they will. Uh, yeah, I think, so I, I think it probably is. This is just the beginning, but then maybe we will have the resources to be able to handle it. We've had an experience. We have to do something with it. Um, yes. What about physicians? What? How are they? I mean, I'm assuming you're you know you're part of the community. Physicians, nurses, healthcare workers. How are they handling it? it just person. Yeah. Yeah. Various ways. I've seen a lot of physicians that um, are really struggling with with becoming burned out. You know, emotionally exhausted and depersonalized as a result of. Of this, and and you know the third leg of burnout is feeling like you're you're, you're lacking purpose in what you're doing, and and it, it it's been it's been hard to maintain your sense of well being through this. I'm speaking personally, and also in what I've seen in other physicians, and and we have all seen our colleagues become sick. I have not personally seen a colleague die, but I've seen colleagues become extremely ill, critically ill. Um, I think all of us have some degree of fear of becoming ill with this, with this uh, virus. Um, and I think we're all fearful that we'll take it home. And that's a lot of stress. So I've seen very stressed physicians. And it's a real, it's an it's a interesting dynamic to suddenly be fearful of your patients. That's not what we went into this for. I think that's a very interesting story. What happens when you you have a degree of fear of your patients? That's, I think, new to most of us. Uh, and so it's interesting. So have you talked about that with your with your colleagues? I mean, what they experience, yeah, we, they go into a, a room, a small room, some of them I don't think necessarily well ventilated, and they're terrified of their own patients or fearful. yeah we we try yeah. we're trying to do that we're trying to do that as part of our well-being program and there is a there is a um, a national program called Schwartz Center Rounds which you may or may not be familiar with but it these are meetings that are geared toward the caregiver and are geared toward allowing the caregiver to talk about the impact of a given problem, whether it's COVID or some other disease, on them. And, and you know, we find, and this won't surprise you as a social worker, but people, you know, when they have an opportunity to talk about it honestly, it's helpful to them. Um, I know that writing books like this is helpful to me. Because you you know it's I don't write them for therapy by any means, but but as you work through you know putting together a novel and talk and thinking and writing about the themes that you think are important, it's helpful to you. It helps you sort through that. Do you give your patients? Um, I, I know you're not 
I guess you you're an executive physician now. I was going to say right, passing right, out your novels right. to your <laughs> to your patients. Yeah. That could be part of. I the haven't cure. <laughs> I haven't. I'll, t- I'll tell you what we do at our hospital, though. We have a program called Make a Memory that we uh, we put together here, and and it specifically uh, tries to overcome the sense that patients are diseases. And so what we do is we've trained our entire staff, everybody, from housekeeping to the president of the hospital, to when you interact with patients, ask what Atul Gawande calls an unscripted question, which means a question that has nothing to do with the the disease that they have or the reason they're in the hospital. So we'll ask them questions like, you know, how did you meet your spouse or what sort of work do you do or did you do or what's your favorite team or what hobbies do you have? What do you like to eat? Those kind of things. And then as we gather the information, we feed it back to a committee who tries to come up with a surprise related to this personal information uh, and, and surprise the patient with it so that the hospitalization becomes memorable for the personal touch rather than the technical uh, ability of the, of the scientists. And we've found it to be extraordinarily beneficial to our patients, but even more so to our staff, because it reminds them why they went into this, which is That's to take care idea. of human beings. I, it- as I used to do hospital social work, and you know, it used to be like, well, there's the heart attack in room 41, or the, the uh, you know, right. the brain injured person in room 42, whatever. Uh, this is quite it's the 180 from that. That's great. That's a, that's a no, it's deliberate, and we, you know, yeah. we've found it to be extraordinarily um, uplifting for everyone involved. And it, sometimes it's as simple as just noting that somebody's in the hospital on their birthday. And celebrating their birthday, we get the doctors to go in and sing to them. And uh, patients remember that. They re- and the doctors love it. They love doing it. It's really a nice thing. Uh, so we've, we've found a great deal of joy in that. And it's been very challenging with COVID patients. But we've done it with them, too. We've even put together a, a sort of a COVID toolbox for them that has, you know, pen and paper so they can journal and it has other things that they can do. And, um, you know, you can always find personal things about people if you take the time and they really appreciate it because being sick is lonely. And um, sick and isolated, really isolated in this with COVID because you can't have yeah, it's worse. visitors. It's, yeah, it's worse. So how does that work, visitors. Dr. Schwab, when, at the end, like when people, you know, you hear the stories, you watch them on television. Um, when people are dying and they are alone, I mean, they are really alone. They don't have any family there or friends or whomever. Um, yeah, how, it's hard. Yeah. It's it's difficult. Um, at our at our hospital system, um, I was uh, one of the leaders that was involved with trying to work that out, and I I pushed very hard for us to come up with a way to allow family members to say goodbye, and we did. It's it's not it's not as personal as as you would like, but we do allow a family member to go into the room. They have to they have to have a, a sort of a uh, a presentation from us so that they clearly understand the risks. They have to agree that they're willing to take the risk. They have to wear all of the PPE, and they can't touch the patient above the chest 
we, we won't allow them to do that. But we do allow them to go in and speak to them and be with them and spend time. I think it's, it's something that almost any family member would take the risk to do because it's forever. I think that we need to find ways to do that and understand that, you know, there are worse things in the world than taking the risk of catching a disease. And one of them, in my view, is not being able to say goodbye to your loved ones. I think that's awful. So I don't, I don't judge other people who aren't doing it. Not, Not one bit. I just, if I felt very strongly personally, and I was fortunate to work in a system that was open to that, and we came up with a way to do it that we think is safe. What about now? I'm just kind of switching topics a little bit, but now because you're still, I'm assuming, are you still you're still teaching undergraduate seminars at the University of yes. Texas online? Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. So what are you what are you telling your students, and what are your students telling you? Well, I teach I teach a seminar class. I teach one semester of each year. I teach the spring semester, so I'm teaching right now. And it's a seminar in the Honors College at University of Texas at Dallas, and it's on the healing power of story. And it's all about stories and and what how stories are structured, what that structure seems to do to the human brain, both uh structurally and biochemically. Um how stories can benefit people, whether you're going into healthcare or you're not. And then we spend a good bit of time on illness as a story and on how the illness story is a profound one and it is the source of suffering for patients and that healing uh, comes about by changing that story in the patient's mind. So it's a fascinating uh, I, I don't want to blow my own horn, but it's a fascinating topic that these undergraduates who mostly are 18, 19-year-old, very bright students have never thought about. They're stunned by it, and they they really enjoy it. I've gotten good feedback from, from my evaluations, and I, I love teaching them and talking about these issues. The pre-medical students enjoy it particularly because most of my examples are healthcare examples, but we have all sorts of students in there and it's just a wonderful time uh, to spend with them. It's 15 weeks and I really value it. It's really uh, important to me. I mean, it sounds like such a valuable course. Is this something that you also promote among other hospitals, either in in Texas or nationally? I mean... It sounds like I that. have not. I, I no. do speak about it. My I speak nationally about medical humanities topics, and I I speak about this the story and what it does to your brain and how it's important. And 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 my big message is when I speak to pre medical or pre nursing groups is don't give up art just because you're becoming a caregiver. In fact sticking with it is good for you. It'll help you avoid burnout. It'll make you a better caregiver. Um, It's very important. And whichever form of art you choose, whether it's photography or literature or cinema or painting, I don't care. Just stick with it because it does good things to you in terms of building empathy and um, making you a, a better caregiver and supporting you in what's a very difficult and often emotionally draining job. So it's very important to me. I've always been a reader. I, you know, I've been a writer many years, and it's vital to me. And playing music is, too. When I've had a hard day, I, I go in and play my guitar. And I'm not a very accomplished guitar player, but it, it, it soothes my soul for certain. 
So uh, I think didn't it's very I read important. that you also? I mean, you are a musician, and you but you play in a band, a cover band. I do. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Where, yeah. So where is that for those who are listening in Texas? Can well, I don't know if you can. Well, do it now, it's, it's only in, it's only in the DFW area. You know, it's a it's a bunch of people like me. In fact, it started at our hospital, so they were all hospital people, uh, and still are hospital people who have a full time job but like to play. And we we play at various venues around um, Dallas, Allen, Texas, McKinney, Texas and Denton, Texas, primarily. We, for a brief time, we sort of became the house band at the DFW in McKinney, Texas, and really enjoyed that. And we haven't, we haven't been together for a year now because of the pandemic. But once it's over, we fully plan to get back together uh, and be, you know, a bunch of old guys playing 70s rock and roll primarily. But we have a lot of fun, and we have a, a small but loyal following, and we just have a good time. I, I think it's great. I've always been somewhat of a, a ham when it comes to performance. So I get a kick out of, you know, being up there and singing and playing, and it's fun. It's a lot of fun. Well, as I'm listening to you and as I've read about you, I mean, I guess you're the definition of the Renaissance man. Seriously. <laughs> I, mean, I, my, I mean, all these yeah, I have a lot of interests, and, and, you know, if you ask my wife, she'd say that might be a curse rather than a blessing, but, yeah, I have a lot of things I'm I'm interested in, and I'm I'm pretty good at them. I don't know that I'm, you know, I'm certainly no Leonardo da Vinci, but I, I'm pretty good at a fair number of things, writing and music and playing golf, and, and so I'm 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 okay. I'm uh, I guess I'd say I'm above average. I, I'd like to think I'm really good at writing. Uh, the rest of them, I'm I'm just I just enjoy them and I I pursue them because they make me feel better. Uh, and I think people should find something that does that. And and stick to it as you obviously have done in all of these different. Yes. I mean, you describe writing as an advocation and and being a physician is your profession, but, and I do recommend reading Eddie's boy. I don't want to talk too much about it because I don't want to give it away. You know, right, <laughs> don't want to right. tell the whole story. Right. But uh, right. we only have a few minutes left. Actually, we only have a couple minutes left. So, I mean, you're doing so many different kinds of things, you know, tell us the websites we can go to, um, to learn more about what sure. you do. Yeah. Sure. My, my website is, uh, robertschwab.com and it has information about, all of my books. I have three novels that I've published, so this is the third one. It has information about that. It has a description of all the talks that I give and uh, those sorts of things. So there's a there's a menu of talks if people are looking for a speaker. I love to uh, travel around and speak. Um, and then it, there's a blog there that has various topics that I I uh, write about from time to time. I also have a Facebook author page that's Robert Schwab, author and speaker. And I have a lot of uh, good help keeping that populated because social media is not my strength. But there's there's interesting things on there. And I have an Instagram as well, which is at Robert Schwab, author and speaker, I believe. That's relatively new. Um, so I have those things. Um, if anyone's interested, I'd be delighted. Um, if there are book clubs out there listening and you're interested in uh, 
reading the book and then connecting with me either virtually or, or in person. I love doing those uh, events too. Uh, so there's information on the Facebook page and on my website of how to get hold of me if you want to do that. So I would, I'd love to do it, and I, I sure appreciate the opportunity to be on this show and talk with you. I, I've really enjoyed it. So have I. Thank you. I want to I want to mention the book again, Eddie's Boy, and that I've been talking to Dr. Robert Schwab, MD, author of Eddie's Boy. Thanks so much. It was great talking to you today. Thank you. I'm Catherine Zox, your social worker with a microphone, and you've been listening to the Catherine Zox Show. Mm-hmm. 